Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Today, we are going to be starting a new series of messages, and I have no, no idea uh, how long uh, we'll be on this subject. The th- I, I never get done. You know? So I, I really am concerned about pastors who don't have anything to say. I mean, I've got way too much to say. Right? So we're going to talk about knowing your enemy. Right? If you don't know anything about your enemy, it's like the war is over before it got started. You are going to be defeated. Right? So the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians not to be ignorant of his devices. Right? And so many of us are ignorant. But in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil. Now, we're living in a society that really uh, many people don't even believe there is a devil. Well, Well, let me just say this. Jesus personally confronted the devil. The devil talked to Jesus. Jesus spoke to the devil and rebuked the devil. The devil is a malevolent evil, wicked spirit being, right? He is not the sum of all evil. And some people would say, we just look all evil together is like what the devil is. No, he is an individual, has a personality, right? Um, when Jesus spoke about the devil, he was not placating in ignorant ancient people, Right? The devil is a real being. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I wanted to say, the, de- the devil devours ignorant people. The devil devours passive people. See, the Bible says the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force or force their way in. Ignorant people, passive people, and people who cooperate with him. See, there are things that you can do that allow the enemy a foothold or a stronghold in your life. So we're going to be talking about some of those things. He goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He can't devour just anybody. If he could, he'd kill you right now. Jesus said, he comes to steal to kill, and to destroy. So we need to know some things about the devil. So we're going to go back to the beginning, and I'd like to start in Ezekiel chapter 28. Now, in the second verse, it says this, Son of man, say to the prince of Tyre. Now, one of the things that, that we need to understand about the devil, this is Old and New Testament, you find this, all right? The devil is very involved in politics. If you haven't noticed, I'm just telling you, but I mean, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. We'll get into it sometime in the future. But listen, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God. I sit in the seat of God's in the midst of the seat. Yet you are a man. And not God, 
though you set your heart as the heart of God. Now, there is a, a man who is considered by people to be the king of Tyre. And the Bible refers to him as the prince, not the king, but the prince, because there is a spiritual force behind this king. Right? And it's the spiritual voice that force that is motivating him. Now, he actually thinks he's God. Now, that may seem strange to you. Of course, in the Roman Empire, almost all the emperors insist on being worshipped as God. Uh, 78 years ago in Japan, at the end of World War II, one of the things that, that McCarthy forced Japan to do was for its emperor to stand up and tell his people he was not God because they worshipped him as God. Well, this politician thinks he's God. Now, the reason he does is because there is a false God that's motivating him and that is empowering him. Well, just a few verses later in the 12th verse, it says, son of man, take up a lamentation against the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Now, almost all Bible scholars agree, right? This is talking not about a man, but about the devil. And you'll see why in just a moment. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. So this being was in the garden of Eden. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you in the day you were created. So this individual was not born. This individual was created. And notice it mentions that in his body, there were timbrels and pipes. Again, Bible scholars tell you we don't understand everything, but in Satan's body, there are musical instruments as part of his body. And we'll we'll talk about that in just a moment. It says, I established it. Well, verse 14, you were the anointed cherub, that covers. So Satan in the beginning was created by God. Part of the function that he had had to do with music. In his physical body, there were musical instruments. It says you were the anointed cherub. He was a cherub angel. That's who Satan was before he fell, a cherub angel, right? And it says who covers. It, it was like he was a, he would somehow music was part of what he was about, right? So many scholars say Satan was the choir director in heaven, right? So he's above the throne and music worship somehow is flowing through him to God, all right? I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways from the day you were created until iniquity was found in you. Again, he was created, and he was created perfect, right? But iniquity was found in him. If you can go to the right, you can go to the left. If you can do good, you can do evil. If there's right, there is wrong. People say, why did God create evil? The fact that there was good was always means that there was the possibility of evil. Now, I remember being taught in church that angels do not have a free will. That is not true. And you can look right here because Satan made a choice. He made a choice 
to do iniquity. And just like you can choose to do good, you can choose to do bad, right? God never made that choice. And it was never God's plan that man would understand what evil was by participating in evil, right? That was not God's plan. However, man and woman did follow Satan into rebellion against God. So he was perfect in all his ways until iniquity was found in him. Uh, You've probably heard people say something like this. Well, if God's in control of everything, man, he sure is a mess. I don't even want that God. Well, their God is my devil. All right. The Bible says that Satan is the God, small g, of this world. Jesus said the prince or the ruler of this world is coming. Speaking of the devil, he called him the prince or ruler of this world. Right. And he said, he has nothing in me. He said, there's no foothold. There's no open door for Satan to come and attack, right? So Satan has musical instruments even as part of his body, right? I wanted to say this. Worship is spiritual. I want to say something further. Music is spiritual, right? Music is spiritual. Think about this. King Saul is oppressed by an evil spirit. And so they get a godly young man named David to come and play his harp and sing. And when he does, Saul is relieved from that evil spirit. What happened? The anointing that was on David flowed out and brought relief. Do you know you can just be in corporate worship and get relief? Um. Some of you won't understand this, but, but literally 90% of the time on Sunday morning, I will, I will walk in that back door back there as the praise and worship is just starting. And in 20 seconds, I'm in the spirit. There is just a switch on the inside. So in Daniel, one of the prophets of the Old Testament, in his book, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, builds a huge image of gold. And he wants everybody to, he gets all the leaders together of all of his kingdom. And he said, when all the people hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and language will fall down and worship the golden image, which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Right? Now, when he wants to get, get people to worship, what does he use? He uses music. He uses music. He gets, I don't know if you know this, people will do things when there's music that they won't do without it. It it, 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 it literally opens your soul and it opens your spirit. That's why it is so important what type of music you're listening to. Um, When when Jeannie and I, this this was uh, 40 years ago. We come back from Mexico, right? And uh, we're living here in the States and we're eating American food and I start gaining weight, right? So, so Jeannie sends me to the gym, right? Seriously, you know, I joined a gym, all right? And they're playing music in that gym, all right? And, and I, rem- I remember, this was, this let you know how long, how long ago it was. I think it was Tina Turner. She had, somebody had this song, you know, what's love but a secondhand emotion, you know? I mean, that thing started, I could not get it out of my head. You say, what'd you do? I quit the gym. 
And I said, baby, I'm getting some stuff at home. I'm going to try to do better. But I'm telling you, I cannot have that stuff on the inside constantly coming up again and again and again and again and again. So music opens us to a spiritual dimension. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 3, the king of Israel, the king of Judah, and the king of Edom are trying to make, they're, they're, they're going to attack the nation of Edom, but they're doing a surprise attack. And so instead of going direct, they go through the desert because they think the king will never think we're coming this way. Well, as they go through the desert, they run out of water. No water for their animals, no water for the people. All right. And now we're going to pick this up. Second Kings three, verse 10. Then a king of Israel said, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. All right. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, this is God's plan. God's plan is to kill us all out here. And God's plan is for us to be defeated. Have you ever noticed whenever things go wrong, everybody blames God. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's blaming, hey, if you park your car under a tree and there's a windstorm and the tree falls on your car, you know what they call that? Act of God. I'm t- everything that's bad, people blame it on God. They should literally. If I started my own insurance company, I'd say, Acts of the devil. <laughs> that was not God. All right? That was not God. So he's blaming God. He said, this is God's plan. But Jehoshaphat, now he's a godly king. He says, is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire by him? And one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here, who poured water on Elijah's hand. And Jehoshaphat said, the Lord, word of the Lord is with him. All right? So they go down and there's a bit of conversation. But verse 15, this is what the prophet says. Now, bring me a musician. And it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him or the anointing came on him. When? When the musician began to play. That that music literally opened up. If you look about Samuel, he had a school of the prophets. These are young men that are being trained in ministry. And what you find every time he's talking about them, they're with the musicians. And they're prophesying. It opens up the spiritual realm. And the prophet gives the word of the Lord. Now, again, want to mention, Satan was a created being, an angel who fell due to rebellion. In Isaiah chapter 14, again, it's talking about the begin, where Satan fell. It says this, for you've said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the far the sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will be like the Most High. Right? That's what the devil wants. He wants to be like God. He wants to be worshipped. Yet you'll be brought down to Sheol in the lowest depths of the pit. It's in Revelation we're, we're led to believe that one-third, roughly, of all the angels rebelled with Satan, and they fell with Satan. So the result of that is there's, there's two-thirds of the angels that are with God. Now, you may not realize it, but angels have a lot to do with the way God ministers to people. 
right? Um, when, when somebody gets married, this is how we start the service, all right? Dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the presence of God and his holy angels to join in holy matrimony, this man and this woman, right? We recognize the presence of angels. You look in the book of John, there's the pool of Bethesda. And the Bible says that every so often an angel would come down and stir that water. And whenever he stirred the water, the first person who got in got healed of whatever ailment they had. Angels are often involved in healing, right? They're involved in a church service. If you and I could see into the spirit realm right now, you would be surprised because this place would be full of angels, right? Now, having seen Satan's rebellion, rebellion and strife, right? Literally, like stop the ministry of angels. The book of Hebrews tells us that they're sent to minister for those who will be heirs of salvation. Angels are sent by God to minister for you, but yet rebellion can stop that ministry, right? So 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 10, right? It says this, for this reason, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, I remember being in Bible school like 50 years ago. It was 50 years ago. Okay. I'm in Bible school. And we read that verse and we thought, what in the world does that mean? So every time we didn't understand anything, we would just go, because of the angels. I mean, we blamed the angels. We blamed everything on the angels. All right. Because there was a lot we didn't understand. There's still stuff we don't understand. But I mean, we really didn't understand. And every time we didn't understand something, it's because of the angels. It's because of the angels. And I never did get the hold of this verse for a really long time. Right? And then we're living in, 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 in Mexico. We're living with the Otomi Indians. Right? We're living in a, in a, a kind of a, 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 what would you call it, a, a village center. But I'm out preaching in this little village and do the service. And afterwards, we go to the pastor's house. Now, it's really small. It's probably 12, maybe 14 by 20 feet. There's this room in the house where they've got a kitchen table and the place for cooking and everything's on one end. And we're talking. I do not know what happened. All right. But all of a sudden, the pastor's wife just comes over. We're at the table. She comes over and she takes her head covering. She throws it on the floor. She stomps on it and she starts talking to her. She didn't talk to her husband. She's yelling at her husband. She's in order me, so I don't know what she's saying, but I know it's not good. All right. Then, then, then listen, listen, listen. She picks that up, goes over to the corner, kneels down, puts it on, and starts to pray. <laughs> that was the day I understood the verse. <laughs> All right. Now, what that meant to her was, I'm in submission. All right. Now, in case you wonder what, about this, the Bible says that your hair is given to you as a head covering, as a covering, it says. So you don't need to have a piece of 
cloth on your head. Your hair is given to you as a covering. But honestly, what in this culture that head covering meant was submission, not being in rebellion, not being in strife. Well, today, it's more the look in your eye, the way you dress, the way that you carry yourself. Right? But when there's rebellion, right, the ministry of angels literally stands still. He says, you, you, you don't want to have any rebellion, any strife. He says, because of the angels. Now, in the, let, let's go over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 16. And I want to give you a couple of, of different translations of this, and I want to talk about it, and, and we'll be finished. All right. It says, let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace, the throne of God's unmerited favor to us sinners, that we may receive mercy for our failures. Right. The mercy of God has to do with your failures your sins, and your shortcomings. How many of you are glad for mercy for all the times you missed it? Right? Mercy has to do with your past. All right? Then he goes on. And find grace. Now, grace and mercy, a lot of people think they're the same. They're not the same. Right? Find grace to help in good time. Now, let me just say this about grace, because we're going to talk about one, really one aspect of grace. But the Bible says, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God, right? So there's just not, uh, the grace of God is like a diamond, right? It, it has a lot of facets, a lot of sides. And the grace of God, like a diamond, has a lot of facets. But we're going to be talking specifically about one of these main facets of the grace of God. To find grace to help in good time for every need. So the grace of God is not about your past. The grace of God is about today and tomorrow, right? And the grace of God brings help for the situation you're in right now, right? I need mercy, but I need grace, right? To find grace to help in good time for every need, appropriate help, well-timed help coming just when you need it. The Message Bible says this. It says, take the mercy and accept the help. Take the mercy and accept the help. So Jeannie and I are living in Ixmiquilpan, uh, Hidalgo. It's uh, an Indian center. We're living in this village. Right? And we are absolutely loving what we're doing. Right? Uh, we, we love the village. We love the people. Um, we're starting churches. We're doing evangelistic campaigns. We're doing pastors' conferences. I mean, and you, you think I'm, I'm telling you this is not an exaggeration. I preached every day. The church had service 365 days a year. Right? We never had a day without a church service. Right? And when I wasn't in town, we were out of town preaching in one of the, the, the 150 churches that we were working with or one of the churches that we were starting, right? But, I mean, we are loving it. We are loving it. We are making a difference. And God puts in my heart. I mean, it's, I mean, I know that I know what's going on. God put in my heart and said, hey, there's a Bible school in Guadalajara. I want you to teach in that Bible school. And so I know we're going to be, cha where change is coming. 
right? I know that's happening. So I said to Jeannie, I said, I said, honey, I said, our time here in the village is coming to an end. And we're going to be moving to Guadalajara. I'm going to be asked to teach in this Bible school. And when they ask, we're going to go. And she's like, no. She says, no, 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 no. She said, we are not done here. She said, look at all the people that are getting saved. Look at the churches that are getting started. Look at everything that's happening. We are making a huge impact in the area and we cannot leave. That is not right. And as, as uh, I remember, she kind of said it like this. She says, you know, you're just sick of this. You know, you, you, you'll walk sometimes 20 hours to get to a village because there's no road. You eat possums and snakes and raccoons and all kinds of strange stuff. And you have to sleep on a dirt floor inside of a church building or something. And just, you, know, you just kind of, you, you just want to, it's easier in the city. All right. And, and I said, no, babe, no, babe. I said, I, and we, we kind of, we do not, not get along on stuff very often. All right. But we were like, I wanted, to, I felt this, she said, no. And uh, I just said, well, babe, just pray about it. Just pray about it. So we continue on. And it's probably six weeks later, maybe a little bit less. All right. I'm gone for three days out in the village preaching. And I get back like one o'clock in the morning or something. Right. And she meets me at the door. And she said to me, honey, she said, let's go to Guadalajara. And I said, yeah, you know, a few months. And, and, and she says, no, no, no. I mean, let's go tonight. Right? And I said, what, what's going on? And she said to me, have you ever seen our village? And we've been living there. Of course I see our village. Right. And by the way, our village was a lot nicer than a lot of other villages. But right as you came into the village, our house was right on the outskirts. There's a little bridge that goes across into town. All right. And we are the last place right before you get into the, the center of the, the little village. All right. So every day, I don't know how many people, 25, 30, 40, 50 people stop right in front of our house and urinate and defecate before they get, they get into the village. Uh, uh, our, our little son, Joshua, hey, that's your dad, Gabe. Okay. He's, uh, he's, he's not even two years old. Okay. And he's one of these little, you ever seen a little kid that's just got white hair? I mean, just a little cotton hair, you know, he, he's got this white hair. He's got blue eyes. All right. Well, 95% of the people in this village have never seen a person with blue eyes or with cotton colored hair. So every place we go, I mean, every place, everybody's touching. Everybody has to touch him. You know, you go to the village market, everybody there's just like, whoa, look at the kid. Look at the kid. They all want to touch him. And then they're like, they look at him and, and they say, can he see? Because he's got blue eyes. And Jeannie would go, oh, yeah. And then they go, well, can he see? Does he see blue? And she goes, well, do you see brown? You know, and everybody would laugh, right? <laughs> Whenever, we're, no, serious, every place we went, all the kids would come over and they'd all just put their toys right in front of them. And just like, we think he's going to be a spoiled brat. Right? And, but there was just all these different things. And she starts telling me all of these things. I mean, she's just going on and on and on and on and on. Now, listen, here's what happened. God took her grace. See, when the grace of God is on you, you will love doing what God has you doing. It will enable you to just enjoy stuff where other people look at you and think, you're nuts. 
Don't you know this, 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 and this, and this? And you're like, hallelujah. You could care that you're just loving what you're doing. Other people think, man, you're crazy. Right? God came and took her grace. Right? One day before, you couldn't pull her away with a, a bunch of horses. And the next day, she's ready to go at midnight. Right? God, when he gives you that grace, all right, that grace is to help. Right? It enables you to do what you could not do. All right? So we moved to that village. Out of, excuse me, we moved out of the village. We moved to Guadalajara. We started teaching in the Bible school. So I, I remember I've been teaching about 10 days. Right? I do four classes every day. Right? I've been teaching about 10 days. And I get called into the director's office. Now, I figured this is like my 10-day meeting, you know. How are things going? Da, 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 da. Well, I get there. It's a pretty good-sized office. Right? And around the edge, there's like there's over 20 chairs. And all the rest of the staff are seated in those chairs. And then there's in the, up front in the, in kind of in the middle there, there's, there's uh, the director's desk, and he's sitting behind the desk. And there's a chair right in front of his desk. And that's my chair. So I don't know if you get the picture, but I'm, I'm like on the carpet, and I have no idea what's up. And he says to me, he says, uh, we have got to talk. He says, you are teaching in this Bible school that God wants to save all people and that God wants to heal all people. He said, we don't believe that. And he begins to talk about different people who've, who are, some of them even well-known Christians. And, and he says, you know, God, God's made them sick and God is teaching them and God is trusting them. And the reason that God gave them cancer is because he can trust them with cancer. And that, you know, he's going on. And I, and I said to him, I said, hold it. I said, what about the Bible? You know, the Bible says he forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases. The Bible says, Matthew 8 that he himself bore our sicknesses, carried our diseases, and by his stripes we were healed. The Bible says, Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Listen, he said, he said we don't care what the Bible says. I mean, there's a lot of people like that. They don't care what the Bible says. He says, this is our tradition. This is what we believe. And he says, now, if you keep this up, he said, I'm just, here, here's the bottom line. He said, this is your warning. One more problem with you, and you're fired. So I go home to Jeannie, and I said, honey, we're in trouble. I said, I just about got fired from a job that they don't pay us for, that we pay them to be, we, we pay to be there. And when you're getting fired, when you're paying to be there, that's bad. <laughs> so we prayed. And, and, and the Lord gave us a little strategy. So I would go into the office, to the school every morning. But on the way, I would pass by the director's house. It was right on the way. And I, got, I would get by a little early. And he would be sitting in his kitchen. He'd be having cafe con leche and some beans and, and uh, tortillas. And uh, I'd sit down with him. And his wife would usually bring me a a cup of cafe con leche. And we would, we would sit there and we would talk. We were talking about the Bible. And I remember it was a, probably a month, maybe the longest it was was six weeks. And we were talking about the scripture where Jesus said, if anyone will come after me, 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I said, you see, the cross is something you pick up when you come to Jesus. Unbelievers don't have crosses. But unbelievers are sick. Unbelievers are depressed. Unbelievers have addiction. I said, none of those things are the cross. And he'd been teaching that was your cross. Well, I, I, I don't think I have ever been in an atmosphere where the presence of God was stronger. It was like you could take a knife and cut a chunk of Holy Ghost out. Right? So, so I'm talking to him. He's crying and he's writing stuff down. You know? Now, the reason I remember it was Thursday was because that night at the school, we also had a church service on Thursday night. And he took those notes. I don't know how he could read them because they were all wet. But he took those notes that Thursday night. And in the back, there was a lady who several doctors had examined and had said, you'll never walk again. But she believed that was her cross and that God was punishing her. And as he's talking, she says, that's not so. And she says, God wants me well. And she starts moving. And over a period of several minutes, she gets up. And then she starts walking. Then she takes her wheelchair down front, puts Domas in the wheelchair, and pushed him around the church. You say, what happened? We didn't get fired. <laughs> now, I tell that story to tell you this. Listen, the devil uses people. People are not your enemy. This is what it says, Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. Right? Satan is a real personality, a real, not a human person, but a spiritual, evil, wicked being. All right. And he is, the Bible says, your enemy. So your enemy is not your boss. Right? Your enemy is not the Democrats or the Republicans. Right? Your enemy is not your mother-in-law or whoever you think your enemy is. Right? That's not your real enemy. The real enemy is a wicked, evil, spiritual being. For we don't fight against people made of flesh and blood. Now, now listen again. What the Bible is telling us is that we are in a fight. Right? And I mentioned earlier that the devil, he consumes, he devours passive people. People, whatever happens, lo que sera, sera, whatever happens will happen. Right? He's telling us we are in a fight. Right? The Bible says the kingdom of God suffereth violence. And the violent take it by force. Other translations say press into it. Right? You and I will never have God's best for us if we're passive. Right? The kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it. You press your way in. For we don't wrestle against people made of flesh and blood, but against persons without bodies. And now he describes those people. The evil rulers of the unseen world. Those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world. What are they doing? They are ruling this world. Jesus said the prince of this world comes. Speaking of Satan, he called him the prince of this world. Second Corinthians 4.4, 4, 
The Bible calls Satan the God, small g, of this world or this world system. But against the evil princes of darkness who rule the world and against a huge number of wicked spirits in the spirit world. So your real enemy is not a person. Your real enemy is Satan and demon power. And we need to realize that they're the ones that motivate other people. Right? They're the, when I look back at that situation that I had at that Bible school, I believe with all my heart, my real enemy was no person on the staff. My real enemy was an evil spiritual being, right? Trying to get us out of what God had called us into. Somebody says, well, I've never had any problem with the devil. Well, there's one of two things. Either you're going the same way he is, so you haven't bumped into him yet. Or you're just ignorant because he will oppose you. He will oppose you. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. All right. Would you bow your head? Well, don't bow your heads yet. Hold on. In uh, 1853, an, an artist from England, William Hunt, finished a painting of the portrait of Jesus. And Jesus, you'll see, uh, I think we've got a picture of it, actually. He's standing at the door of your heart, and he's knocking. It's from the, the, the scripture in Revelation 3.20, where Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. One translation says it this way, I stand at the door of your heart, and I knock. And he's knocking, and he says, let me in. He said, and if you'll let me in, he said, we will begin a relationship. We will commune with each other. Say, so would you bow your heads for just a moment? Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me and learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is asking is not that you just believe that he is, that he died and rose again, but he is asking you to open the door to your heart, to your life, for him to come in to be your king, your Lord, and your savior. He's asking you to surrender and give him your whole life. Not to just receive him for fire insurance. I, I just don't want to go to hell. No, but he wants to come in to your heart and, and he wants to be your king. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. One translation says it like this. If you lose your low life, it says you can come to my high life. See, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus wants us to become his disciples. You say, what does that mean? That we give him our heart and life, but then we follow him and we do all that we can to live like him, to become like him and to grow and grow and become more and more like him every day. Now, I know that in a group of this size, there's people that you're, 
you're away from God. At one point you lived for God, but you've drifted away. There's others. You don't know where you stand with God. If I said, are you going to heaven? You'd say, well, I hope so. And I'll find out when I die. But the Bible says we've written these things that you may know that you have everlasting life. See, you're supposed to know you're forgiven. You're right with God. You're on your way to heaven. And if you don't know that, you're not where you should be with God. And there's some of you, you've all your life, you've just gone your way. But Jesus said, receive me as your king, as your Lord. To as many as receive him, the Bible says, he gives the right to be the children of God. So we're going to pray a prayer together. If you're not right with God, you're away from God. If you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. So I'm going to ask everybody, would you just take one hand, put it over your heart? I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer out loud and to make these words your own. You should repeat this. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. And I believe Jesus is coming again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. Jesus is my king, my Lord, and I'm going to live for him. I am Jesus' disciple. From this day forward, I will follow him and I will grow to be more and more like him. I thank you. You've heard my prayer. My past is gone. I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.